and welcome to this audio recording of the weekly research roundup for research published between the 13th and 19th of September 2022. I'm Katrina Pears, the research correspondent for the ME Association. It's been another quiet week in research as the new academic year begins. There have been three new ME-CFS studies and 14 studies on long COVID this week. We have highlighted two of the studies. Paper 2 is a genetic study which works towards proving the link between long COVID and ME-CFS. The study itself does not collect any samples and uses pre-existing gene databases, which it uses three of these, to find the connections between these two illnesses. The study found links between the two illnesses with nine common genes, five common protein-protein interactions, and the prediction of 10 chemical compounds. This revealed similarities in infection, neuroinflammation, energetic metabolic dysfunction, and impaired immune function. The paper has some useful images explaining their analysis and the results, which are worth a look at. It goes without saying that the methodology used in this paper will limit the results found. There is no clarification of diagnostic criteria for ME-CFS, i.e. if it was Canadian Consensus Criteria, CCC, or Fukuda, etc. One of the databases used was disconnect.org, which lists furin gene, but this is also known as the PACE gene, which has resulted in the database linking this to the PACE trial, which is obviously not relevant to genetics. If the untrained eye can spot problems like this, we would hope that the authors have carefully screened the database, but we do not have any way of knowing this. There's also currently a lack of data available on long COVID. As well as this, using the data already collected in these databases is limited by previous study design, which may have shortcomings in their methods used. In my opinion, this research could be a lot stronger if coupled with some primary data collection, as at the moment it is limited by the protocols used by the previous studies, although it does further support the overlap between ME-CFS and long COVID. Paper 3 is on continuous activity monitoring using off-the-shelf activity monitors and comparing these to symptom variability with patients' reported outcomes, PROMS. This study used the Fitbit Charge 3 in 27 patients with varying symptom severity for a six-month period. The authors also compared these results to Senseware device which they have used in previous other studies. The results unsurprisingly showed the average steps decreased with symptom severity, such as MILDs were shown to have 5,566 steps per day, moderate 4,991 steps per day and Sophia was 1,998 steps per day. The study also found a large day-to-day variation in steps of 47%, an increase in steps with the last three months of the trial, particularly in the mild patients. Steps were correlated to physical and social function and symptoms. One of the reasons that the authors conducted this feasibility study was as part of wider research to help them validate findings in other studies looking at outcome measures, so that not only patient-reported symptoms are being used. The authors 
particularly noted that this would be useful in validating treatment options, such as involving the anti-CD20 B-cell depleting antibody rituximab or the cytotoxic drug cyclophosphamide. Findings on this study do not surprise me, however I would have expected a lower number of steps from the severe group. It is disappointing that a larger cohort was not researched, seeing as the study randomly selected patients from a possible cohort of 92. Therefore, I hope there is potential to expand this study on a larger scale. The small scale of this study limits the conclusions that the authors could draw when linking to symptoms. Therefore, the potential to gain much more from a study like this is possible. Furthermore, there is also no control group, so we do not know how these number of steps compare to a sedentary population. I am personally interested in this study having used a Fitbit activity tracker for over the past seven years. I have always found the use of an activity tracker crucial to my pacing, whereas I can monitor the number of steps I am doing and make sure that I am not going over my personal daily limit. Furthermore, it is also reassuring to see that my daily steps are also in line with the findings in this study for different symptom severities. Please also note that the ME Association is funding a new study on pacing with the use of a heart rate monitor. Thank you for listening to this audio recording of the weekly research roundup. I will be back next week with the next instalment.